Hey, this is Erin Lindstrom, and you're listening to Thank You For You. This is a show about celebrating and acknowledging our humanness as well as our beingness, the easy and the hard, the gifts and the (laughs) gifts we don't really like but choose to accept anyway. This is a show about and for people in pursuit of more peace, more joy, more money, more justice, and more of the awe that life has to give us. Thank you for being here, and thank you for you. This conversation coming up is with Joanne Tucker, who I affectionately call Reiki Joe <laughs> um, because she is a Reiki practitioner. I actually took her certification for level one Reiki. Um, and Joe is a magical person. Number one, you're going to love her voice. I've been telling her to please, not telling, asking, <laughs> encouraging her to please create her own podcast because everyone who listens to her is like, please keep talking to me. I just love the sound of your voice. So number one, I hope you enjoy that piece of this puzzle. Um, number two, Joe is a magical human being. She is an incredible person. She holds space. She sees you. She is so loving and gentle and kind and totally human. (laughs) Like she's just one of these like fascinating people that I love being around. I value her opinion so much. I completely trust her. Um, and she has been important to me, um, really in learning about being in my body, um, and listening to it and doing that in a gentle way that isn't totally like, I was going to say it isn't totally weird, but what I mean by that is like that it's accessible um, because it's not about completely changing yourself by tomorrow. It's about like being where you are. Um, so anyway, but instead of me telling you all about her magic, I want to get to the conversation. And before we do that, let me just tell you a little bit more about Joe. So Joe is a post-traumatic growth guide and Reiki master and teacher with a focus on resolving unprocessed trauma that dictates cycles of stuck. Through somatic and energetic approaches to trauma resolution, she works with clients to rewire their nervous systems to resolve perfectionism, procrastination, and shame so they can live their magic into the world. Oh, she is just so, so, so good. I hope you enjoy this conversation as much as I did. And without further ado, please enjoy Joe Tucker. Joanne, thank you so much for being with me today. Thanks for having me. <laughs> oh, it's my pleasure. <laughs> uh, okay, so I'm very excited for this conversation. I don't know where it's going to go, but I know that it's going to be a good one because I feel like every time we talk, it's like juicy and I'm like, damn, I wish I could listen to that again. And so today we have the pleasure of recording and actually being able to listen to it again. So mm. to kind of like kick us off and get us started. I would love to know, <laughs> drum roll please, <laughs> who are you and how did you get here? Oh, okay. Um, yeah. Who am I and how did I get here? Just so like an easy question to start off the bat, I think. Yeah, just like casual, you know? Just casual, casual. Um, who am I? I am a daughter mm-hmm. with no current alive parents. <laughs> How do you say that? <laughs> I guess that makes me an orphan, um, which feels like a real little like child orphan Annie sort of thing. We grew up in an orphanage. That's not the case. I grew up in a home with my alive parents. This is already the best part. 
great. Keep going. <laughs> uh, yep. Yeah. So that happened. And before that happened, I, I'm from the East Coast of Canada. That's a huge part of my identity. Um, <laughs> it's weird that it is, but here I am. I'm like place-based. Um, but also the interesting thing about Canada, fun fact, is that my, my family is actually from Newfoundland, which is like a big island off the East Coast, first light of the Eastern seaboard, yada, 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 magical. Mm-hmm. Um, but I wasn't born there. And so if you're from Newfoundland, you're like a Newfoundlander. And they actually only joined Canada in like 1949. <laughs> Don't fact check that, but seriously. <laughs> I love the history lesson that's happening right now. <laughs> <laughs> it's important. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not. But if you aren't from, if you're not born there, you're called from away. And mm. so I'm technically a from away. Um, and there's like a whole like ritual involving booze and kissing a dead cod that can make you a, an honorary <laughs> Newfoundlander <laughs> in a bar downtown. But it's really interesting to have all of my roots in this place, but not be from there. And mm. so it kind of like sets me up uh <laughs> in like this place of like belonging, right? And this lack of feeling that belonging, both in my like regular family. Like I grew up feeling like pretty much a black sheep for all of my remembered history. And then also having this extended family where I feel a deep pull to this place. Like this is the place behind me here. It's very important to me. It feels like home and um, that there's also a from away aspect to that. So yeah, Mm. that's a... that's part of who I am. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. Uh, I feel like I've heard you talk about the Newfoundland stuff before, but I don't know that I've ever like heard it in that way. The, mm-hmm. the far away, like that's interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You come from away. Actually, there's a Broadway play about, it's called come from away. And it's about like uh, people during nine 11 coming to Gander, like having to stop in that airport and how the little community like took everyone in all these people that came from away. But wow. um, as someone who's like family is that, and I don't think that I'm like, none of my, I want to be clear. None of my relatives were like, you come from away, child. Right. <laughs> like there was no moment like that. But like, there's like a lack of familiarity with certain ways of being um, because I'm like a mainlander, you know, mm. um, um, and a mainlander from the East Coast still. But uh, so there's like, there's an in and an out. There's like a two, one foot in, one foot out kind of scenario that I think like has really shaped a huge part of my identity. This, this part of me that so much feels deeply who I am and feels really rooted and connected to that. And also untethered at the same time and always kind Mm -hmm. of looking for that place that is me. Yeah. That's deep. (laughs) Poetic. (laughs) Uh (laughs) Amazing. Okay. And tell us a little bit about, if you're open, um, about your journey to like the work that you do now. And if you want to tell us a little bit about like what you do too, feel free. Cool. Um, Yeah. So I guess this is like a longer answer to that first question too of like, who are you and how'd you get here? (laughs) Mm -hmm. But it never ends. (laughs) that question is hard. Cause you're like, where does it, where does that all start? And I love that every time it's kind of a different answer. That's like really mm-hmm. a depiction of where I'm at currently in my like emotional state. Totally. But, um, and that's a really cool way to be because like how I got here was not being like that. You right. Know? 
my story is a story of growing up in a home, which I think is not an uncommon story by any means where Mm -hmm. like feelings and like uh, quirkiness and just like self wasn't openly celebrated. Mm -hmm. Um, And in fact, like often felt like my feelings and my experience were very harmful for my family cause a lot of disruption. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah. I grew up like I had a wonderful childhood and like a great family and like emotionally uh, complicated and inept like parents Mm -hmm. that just like weren't there, which I think is like a legacy that a lot of our generation kind of lives with Mm -hmm. and that my mother lived with too. Right. Like I really got to know her better through seeing her in her family unit which again was not always possible because we lived in different places. Mm -hmm. Um, That whole Island thing. (laughs) Right. Right. But uh, yeah. And being a child, you don't necessarily see what's going on. Right. You just like, Oh, 100%. Yeah. So you see a lot, but it's funny how you can put it together differently when you're looking back. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, Something about brain development and mm-hmm. things like that. <laughs> mm-hmm. But um, yeah, so I grew up in a family where, like, yeah, it was pretty clear that feeling things was like not really an acceptable way to be. Um, and so I am a big feeler, uh, always been a big feeler, a big creative thinker. Um, and those things just started to kind of shut down. And this is all from hindsight, of course, but. Um, you know, those feelings of being a teenager with like the like raw emotionality of all of that and not having like any kind of healthy uh, model for how to express that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, that sucked to be perfectly <laughs> frank. <laughs> mm-hmm. and, and also from like an early age, having a lot of like death in my family, um, mm-hmm. like from I think the ages of 10 onwards to probably 22, someone important in my life dying every year, Mm. um, more or less. Um, and so like, it wasn't that there wasn't anything to feel in my life. There was a lot to feel. And then like a a very clear knowing that it was dangerous to feel those things, Mm. um, either harmful for me, but harmful for the people around me. Um, and that was a way that I survived was to just like, stop feeling things. I went into like a pretty big, what I can see now to be like a pretty numb place of a Mm -hmm. place of like, really not feeling like any of my needs or desires outside of those basic ones were, um, were like worthy of being seen or heard or met like, and so um, you just start to not have needs. I mean, that's the way that my body chose to go. I think in my early on years, I think I maybe screamed louder, talked louder, wanted more. And then Mm -hmm. once you learn like, okay, that kind of hyper response in my body is not going to actually get me what I need, then the system collapses. Right. And mm-hmm. so we go into like a dissociative or freeze and kind of stayed there. Um, and it wasn't until I was, I was 21 that my father died pretty um, quick. Like what's the word there? Suddenly, suddenly. <laughs> <laughs> he died suddenly um, of a massive heart attack. And uh, that was awful. Um, and in my mind, I had like, you know, I had already had this like, bit of like pseudo spiritual background. I'd been doing meditation groups and dabbling in Reiki and other things. And so I used that intellectual knowing um, to kind of just like manage that experience in my body, just like, okay, like I know he was in a lot of pain. 
um, which was true, and that he had not been happy for a couple of years after being in an accident. And so that makes sense. And he's in a better place wherever the fuck that is. I don't even really need to know. But just mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. his human experience was kind of done. Perfect. We're fine with that. Um, and then like kind of tucked that in a little box and was like moving on. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I just, yeah, that worked for a while, but evidently that kind of grief was like far too much to box. Mm-hmm. And so it started to come out in really like interesting and unexpected ways, mostly on his birthday. Um, mm-hmm. Every year I would get up and kind of when you're in a deep dissociative state, you don't even recognize uh, um, that a date is coming up, but your body does, right? Like Mm -hmm. your body remembers fucking everything Mm -hmm. and it will find ways to speak to you. Um, And so since that moment, I had like also like years of digestive upset. Like I got really, really sick and really couldn't eat anything without being in extreme discomfort. Also totally managed that totally fine. (laughs) It was like, I guess Mm -hmm. it's my body now, whatever. And just kept moving. Mm -hmm. Um, because in that state, like everything just feels like this is just how life is. There's no options here. There's no choice. I guess Mm. I just need to keep going, you know? And yeah. So these kinds of moments started to creep up of like extreme sadness and trigger, like watching a movie that was like maybe kind of sad would like have me like in sobbing tears. Um, I remember I was living with my best friend from childhood in Montreal at the time. And she was like, are you okay? (laughs) Like what's, what's going on? This seems like a big emotion (laughs) for this weird movie that we just watched. Um, and so I started to notice that I could watch movies and have these like, um, emotional experiences that would then help me like reset without ever having it to actually deal with what I wasn't dealing with. So I used this like emotional porn for a while to Mm -hmm. take the off. Um, and then went to a play, actually, this is like, I went to a play. Have you heard this story before, Erin? I don't know. I don't think so. Um, I worked at a small community center. I ran one of those, uh, just like after school programs and Mm team programs there. And my, my boss, the director and one of my colleagues had co-created a play together. They were doing their bachelor's in fine arts or whatever. Mm -hmm. And so I went to this play. The play was like, not I mean, I don't really remember the content of it. It wasn't that emotional. It wasn't that interesting. It was just nice. Like they did a good job, but I bawled my eyes out (laughs) in front of my boss and my colleague who were both just like, okay. I was like, I'm just really proud of you guys. And it was this first feeling of like, oh, I can like actually feel how like proud I am of something, how good it feels to be and witness someone's creative art pour out of them onto the stage in like, not even like the most like epic way. It was like in like a hallway of a school, like it wasn't like this big production, but it just awakened this like deep sadness within me of like creativity and being fully expressed. And it just like awoke this like, in my body, this huge pit of grief. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's when I got a therapist. <laughs> for the first time. <laughs> and so, yeah, it's been that's kind of like the bookend that kind of brought all of this out was like all of a sudden these experiences of like feeling again, because the body just was like, listen, this is not our path here to not feel things. Like Mm -hmm. we've tried to make you feel things through like being really sad and that's not really catalyzing you along. Mm -hmm. Let's show you what you're missing. Right. Mm -hmm. Let's give you a glimpse of what you're missing. Let's put you in like rooms. And it still happens to this day where I see live music and I just cry because it's just so 
beautiful to see someone showing up so courageously in their art, mm-hmm. whatever that is. Yeah, um, I get it when I think about some of my friends, like, it, and it's just so beautiful to be completely rocked by this human experience of, of vulnerability, right? Yeah, and that really awoken within me, like, oh shit, I really want that in my life, mm-hmm. and that's fucking scary, and I don't know how to do that. I still don't really know how to do that, but <laughs> I'm like on the path of getting able to do that, and it was through that pathway of kind of getting to know myself apart from my family, like really what's my identity outside of like what I've always been told about myself. Yeah. The choices that I want to make that aren't in opposition with someone else's choices, just because I want distance from them. Right. Right. All of these different ways in which my life had been kind of constructed around um, a lack of choice. Yeah. Right. Even if I felt like I was making it, it was still in opposition of someone else's. And so like, let's pull those layers back. Let's work with some people. Let's figure some shit out and really care for myself. Um, And it was through that gift of like, oh, like, holy shit, look what happens when you like care for yourself, when you start Mm -hmm. to like feel some needs and like actually start to meet those, like Mm -hmm. what opens up for you. And once I got a taste of that, I was like, oh shit, I kind of want to do this for other people. Like, yeah feel like this is like, this feels really good. And so that's where that all, like my business all came from. And then there's been like, you know, the business that started when I was working my government job a couple of years ago is very different from the one I, I run currently because I'm different. Right. Right. That's the cool thing about doing this kind of work is that you get to like have these changes. So now I have this trauma perspective that's like still integrating into my body around somatic work. And that's really the work that I'm doing with people now too. Um, and yeah. gives me like all of this language, right. For disassociation and fight and freeze and, and uh, just this lens that feels actually like home, right. It feels like belonging. And I feel like I finally placed myself on that map. I know where I am. Mm. Um, and ooh, look how that ties into the very beginning of this conversation. Yeah, that was really good. Did you that? <laughs> no, I did not. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's why I guess that conversation started that way. But uh, here I am now. Yeah. Okay. So that's that's all incredible. And I feel like you just touched on so many different things that I'm like, my whole brain is lit up with like, oh, which path to go down. Hmm. Um, and one of the things you mentioned, like towards the end was somatic experiences. And I'm wondering, can you expand on that a little bit and tell us like, what does that mean? (laughs) And also like, I feel like I'm listening to this and I've known you for a few years now. I know how incredible your work is. Like I've experienced you as a coach, as a client, as a, all the things, right. We kind of like, I've tried a bunch of different things and knowing how powerful your work is. I'm also wondering for people who are listening and like, what the hell? Like, I don't know what you're talking about, but you're touching my stuff. Mm. (laughs) You know what I mean? Or kind of like turning on a light bulb and maybe some people are having that moment. Um, Can you also kind of give us a, all right, so you are here and like the light bulbs kind of turning on, like, where would you kind of tell people to start with this stuff? Mm -hmm. So uh, somatic approaches to trauma resolution is uh, kind of like a newer and also very old, um, The idea is that it's body-based as opposed to mind-based. So that's what kind of differentiates um, therapy and like somatic approaches to this. Mm -hmm. Um, The idea with trauma is like, okay, this is what we, we know this happened and we know you're alive. Right. Mm -hmm. And so what do we do with that? Mm -hmm. Um, And for me, 
what I found was happening with a lot of like mindset stuff and like cognitive therapy was that I really knew myself really well. Like I knew the different ways that I acted and reacted. I I could see my patterning and my behaviors. I could see how those were informed by my family and not, and all of this stuff. And nothing was really changing with that knowledge. Like there was like maybe some openings towards compassion around why I was the way I was, but it still felt really hard and complicated. And I didn't know how to, like, none of this knowledge was really catalyzing change in a big way. There were still a lot of places that felt like, oh, really rough. Mm-hmm. And a couple of years ago, my mom died also suddenly, but not quite as sudden, <laughs> over six weeks, which is okay. pretty fucking sudden. Um, and that's like a really weird, morbid bookend that I have in my life of these two deaths that feel like I was two completely different people. One, because of age, there's almost, I think, 15 years in between them. Um, but also like I've been in the work for like the work, I kind of hate that term, but here we are, um, for like 10 plus years, like pretty deeply, pretty consistently. Mm -hmm. And so I'm different in how I feel about death and how I feel about emotions and all this stuff. Um, and then I realized also and this is when we were really getting to know one another too, Aaron, was that um, all of a sudden I, I felt like I couldn't ask, like I was back in that place of like, I can't ask for things. I can't have things. I can't have wants, needs, and desires beyond like my very basic um, because anything could happen at any time and c- everything could be taken away. Um And I knew cognitively that that there's a lot of truth to that. Like we all know, like the amount of control we have in this universe is fairly limited. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't mean that we don't get to desire and have choice and call people in and co-create with that desire. Right. And I was just feeling like completely stuck and bothered by that. Mm -hmm. Not that I've ever been like you who goals, but like, right. I have vision (laughs) and I just felt completely disconnected from that and unsure as to what to do about it. Um, And again, that cognitive awareness was there and I felt completely stuck like in the impossibility of that. Um, And so it was at that point that I started thinking about this like somatic stuff that I've been hearing about this body based and how the idea is that for these instincts and impulses that come from trauma and trauma mm-hmm. can be characterized as uh, my favorite definition is Rachel Maddox. It's like an embodied uh, violation hangover. Yeah. I love that. So, mm-hmm. so it doesn't, it, it doesn't matter what the trauma was, but the fact is that it's like somehow stuck in our bodies because we couldn't have the experience of, of fight, flight, freeze that we needed to have healthfully because we're not fucking taught that. That's a whole other spiel. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but uh, yeah, the whole idea is that it's not our cognitive function that decides that, that when we're actually triggered in a trauma, traumatic response, that fight, flight, freeze, we actually lose our cognitive capacity. Um, and our somatic body takes over our instinctual animalistic aspect of self. And it's all about survival. And so I was caught in this dissociative vibe around goals and vision. And that was a trauma response. Mm. And, and hearing that for the first time, I was like, holy jumpings, like yeah. that totally makes sense. Like, yeah. and that like when, like we can think about it, like if I touch something hot, it's not my cognitive brain. That's like, Oh, what is this? Interesting. Let us make a choice. It's <laughs> like, no, your animalistic survival body t- comes online and is like, get your hand off that fucking hot stove. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and so it makes sense that it's not the brain and the cognitive area that needs to understand. I got that. It's actually, how do I rewire my nervous system to feel safe in this world with little choice? Yeah. How do I make my body feel safe to want something and not be able to have it, right? And have mm-hmm. it ripped from my hands and be resilient in that, you know, on these deeper different kinds of levels. Mm-hmm. And so I started doing some work in that, in that area and blew my fucking mind. Yeah. You know? Um, really like things that felt impossible for so long. And again, that's a characteristic of being in a chronic freeze, which I believe most of us are living in chronic freeze. Um, Yeah. That all of a sudden possibility started to show up and compassion and curiosity from like a real place, not just like I wrote about it in my journal one time. And like, I know that that's my goal, but I don't actually feel that alive. Right. right? Mm -hmm. Felt it actually like sink into my fucking bones for the first time. Um, and then from there, like the interesting thing about this work is like, we find like a pinhole of where we can like make some movement Mm -hmm. and that kind of has a ripple effect often. Mm -hmm. And we start to then be, instead of, uh, engaged and entangled in what we might call a momentum of trauma or chaos or impossibility, all of a sudden the body in its natural state starts to move towards what we naturally desire to be in, which is a momentum of wellness, whatever that looks like Mm -hmm. of cooperation, creativity, resourcefulness. And so once the body, like once we kind of see that part of ourselves and that's like the true permanent aspect of self in from a traumatic, like somatic experience kind of lens is that like, yeah, the true part of me is like really well is resourceful is creative. Like that's how I see all of my clients, all of my people, And we live in like kind of a toxic place. I don't know if you've noticed. So um, that impacts (laughs) like our somatic bodies. And so how do we breathe more into this part of self that feels strong, resilient, cooperative, creative, resourceful, um, and and blow some wind into that sail. And as soon as the body gets like a glimpse of that, it's like, oh shit, yeah, like this is actually like the vibe. This is Mm -hmm. where we are. This isn't about bypassing all the difficulty, but Like once we get that momentum going, it's a momentum that we can easily clip into. Um, And we learn that it's safe to be in that momentum of slow, of, of like trueness of resourcefulness, as opposed to maybe our body had learned at one point that it wasn't okay. Right. That it was unsafe. Yeah. Like I learned that having emotions and feeling things was unsafe for people around me. So it made sense that I was like, oh, I guess I just don't want to feel those anymore because it's too unsafe right. and I need to belong and I need to feel well. That was my childhood need of like, I need to be taken care of. And the only way I can be taken care of is if I'm like this. Right. If you right. fit into the box that like your parents or caregivers require you to kind of like fit in. Exactly. Right. Yeah. And so as an adult, a lot of us are like, wait a minute. And we start to realize, hold on, (laughs) like like either through creating this beautiful life and not being able to touch it and feel it is Mm -hmm. a lot of the experience of people I work with or having a realization that they built this beautiful, successful thing and are like, I hate it. And I want to burn it down. I feel like I'm running all the time trying to just like feel good and finally make it and be safe right? So we have those two different kind of expressions and like a myriad of them in between, but those are the main categories. Yeah. Do you find that, and I don't know if there's a straight answer to this, but for most people, when you find yourself kind of in that situation where like I created it and I either can't feel it or like, I know it's not right. 
is it typically that we have to change the outside of things or is it more internal work? Like, or is it a combination of the two? Like, what does that shifting really like look like on earth? Yeah, it's a combination of the two Mm. Um, because that's what the reality of life is. Like trauma will tell you that the world is in black and white and Mm. actually we live in grays. Mm. And so that trauma resolution is about finding safety in the grayness of everything, um, which sounds like a bleak life, but it's actually where all the color is. Right. Um, So like often people want to just burn everything down and there are certain things that maybe need to be like tweaked and changed, but we don't want to rush into making decisions around that stuff um, unless it's really unsafe. That's the caveat, Mm -hmm. but we don't want to rush into decisions because we're just going to rebuild the same thing that we broke down. It's going to look different, but it's going to feel the fucking same. Mm -hmm. And so what do we do to like recalibrate the body so that we can actually make embodied choices that feel really good Mm -hmm. and that feel really safe. It's kind of like manifestation work, right? When you like, um, you like get fixated on this thing and then you do all the things and you manifest it and you get it and you're like, ah, it's too scary. We want your body to be ready to accept the goodness in your life. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's like a shitty thing to think about, but it's like really freeing work. Yeah. It's interesting because the like visual or metaphor that I got, like as you were sharing that was almost like running from relationship to relationship. Like if you find yourself in something, you're like, it's not this. And then you run to the next one and you're like, you build, spend your time building it. And then you're there and it's like, it's not this either. And you run to the next one, but like you're the constant in all of those relationships. Mm-hmm. And I feel like whether that um, manifests itself as a business or as an idea or as a relationship partnership like we really are at the center of all the things and Mm -hmm. this work is really like how to be with yourself (laughs) and like to enjoy your life not by having like or a particular thing but by being able to enjoy whatever is there and Mm -hmm. not enjoy it and like the freedom and flexibility of like expressing that and really being safe in that expression Mm -hmm. one of the one of the things that you said a few weeks ago that like has just really stuck with me and I'll probably mess it up as I say it right now, but it was that like, there are no, you can't be wrong unless your body says no. And you say yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Did you say radical self-consent? Yeah. Yeah. And that one has like really uh, stuck with me just as far as like, Yeah. Sometimes, even though you have goals on paper, there are things that you want. There are things that seem to make sense in this world and even that you've expressed to other people. So to them, it makes sense. And now they're looking at you to like do this thing that sometimes your body says no. And like really being able to honor that, I think takes a lot more strength. You know, that's not when we, when people say no, we're not usually like, oh, that took a lot of strength or confidence or courage or anything, but Mm -hmm. like, that's really the hardest thing to do is to like honor yourself when it doesn't necessarily make sense on the outside. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's, that hits on our core identity of like, and and desire to belong. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. Like what is identity to you when you use that phrase? I think identity is like how you like, Oh, that's a good question. Like it's a, it's a full expression of all of the different idiosyncrasies that are humanity, right? Mm-hmm. It's like uh, in, our, in our adolescence, it's a flag that we hold up or it's a mask that we try on and trying to figure out who it is that we really are. Mm-hmm. And our identity is that, like, who am I? Like, if I'm safe to be all of these different things, if I can make these mistakes, if I can be kind of messy, like that's how we figure out how, who exactly it is that we are. 
Mm. Um, because it's not tied to having to be a certain kind of way, perform a certain kind of way, um, be with others in a certain kind of way, give whatever it is that we're supposed to be giving. It's just actually being in the flow of like, these are my yeses, these are my noes, these are my needs, these are my desires. This is the ecosystem that I live in because that can start to sound like identity is just about you, but it isn't also like, but it's a regulated way of being in like a, an ecosystem, right? Mm-hmm. So it's like, I like, the, of like yeah. Yeah. That. Sorry to cut you off. I liked how you just said, like, it's about being in flow with the yeses and nos, mm-hmm. which I think is interesting because identity seems to be like the static thing that we talk about of like, mm-hmm. who am I? And when you said it like that, I'm like, oh yeah, like it can change and shift like as you're changing and shifting and growing. And like, we are different every day, even mm-hmm. if it's like a minuscule amount of difference. Mm-hmm. And we're allowed to be different with different people too, right? Like, mm-hmm. I think we need to normalize that shit because like there are different ways that we can be with different people that feed different aspects of our identity. That doesn't mean that we're fake or like uh, inauthentic. It means that we're like multifaceted beings and there's safety in some places where there isn't in others, right? There's ways that we want to be fed and nurtured in other places where we want to be fed and nurtured in different kinds of ways. And that doesn't make us weird or wrong. It makes us a full fucking human being. And I think it's a big crisis of our of like world and why we have such like toxic leadership is that there isn't safety in that. There isn't safety in changing your mind. There isn't safety in really figuring out what your identity is. And that's like the trap that I found myself in. And that I think a lot of people can relate to is that I found that my family was most intact and at their best when I was a certain kind of way. And so all of the other parts of myself that were wanting and desiring to exist were shut down and given away. And then I went through my adolescence with in fear, right? I still had to be this person. There were places where like my essence could poke out, but for the most part, I still felt really shut down. I didn't have the safety that I could fuck up and still belong. Mm. I didn't have like, uh, like that, that unconditional love that never existed in my life. Right. I I mean, I know that it did, but it wasn't proven to me. Right. And as a kid, you need fucking proof. (laughs) So like, I felt like I had to make certain choices and be a certain kind of way for a long time. And our adolescence is meant to like make mistakes and be messy and like have all of these emotions and really figure out who it is that you are. And so we have all of these people in leadership that don't know who they are. And so they're afraid to make different choices. They're afraid to have opinions that are broader or more nuanced, right? And we're seeing like a critical manifestation of the ugliness and toxicity that that breeds when we have adults in charge that never actually moved out of childhood because it was never safe for them. Damn. (laughs) (laughs) That's, um, yeah, some serious shit honestly. And like, uh uh-huh. It makes so much sense, so much sense. And I just think it's so fascinating because this is all human stuff. And like, you really can't get around the humanity of your humanness, no matter how hard you want to, no matter how much you want to achieve or how far you want to run, how much money you want to make. Like at the end of the day, like if you're not caring for yourself and really figuring out how to tap into that unconditional love for yourself, it sounds like, um, Mm -hmm you it doesn't matter like what shows up on the outside because the inside like hasn't quite caught up. Yeah, exactly. If you never like learn that your needs are okay to have and like actually can be celebrated and met, mm-hmm. then you never actually learn how to have boundaries because mm-hmm. what are you making boundaries around? Right? 
maybe someone else's idea of what's good and what isn't, but like, they're not really an embodied boundary. There's no bringing in the things that feel good and saying no to the things that don't feel good because there's no actual like barometer for that in your life. Mm-hmm. So we create boundaries based on how we think boundaries are supposed to be made. And then we then get into like, we can't actually fully express our identities because we, we never form them. Right. We don't know who we are. Right. right. And so there's like a developmental, um, like traumatic spell happening here that we all need to like really take a second look at and, and try and find ways to like lovingly and doably break. Yeah. As like, trauma would be like, throw it all out. But it's like, okay, no, like what's like the keys to like this kind of work is like slow is sexy. Doability does the damn thing. These are all Mm -hmm. like great quotes from Rachel Maddox, but like less is more. All of these are like very important aspects of how we actually make sustained change. Mm -hmm. And it's through that sustained change that we can actually keep a hold on it. We don't have to have these like chronic, like healing crises where like the whole world seems to have imploded underneath you. I've been through that. It fucking sucks. It's not an easy place to rebuild from. So how can we like tinker with the bits and pieces, rebuild the walls and then like look at the floors and whatever it is, whatever kind of fucking metaphor you want to lay on it, but like (laughs) do it slow, make it doable Mm -hmm. um, so that we can actually feel ourselves in this process. Mm, I love that. So last question for you is just like, so listening to this, like, do you have kind of one piece of advice that you would blanket want to give everyone, whether that's around like starting out or just kind of like, what, what is the ultimate message here? Mm. There's so many. <laughs> yeah. You can give a couple too. Yeah, <laughs> you like, are unlimited. Thank you. Um, yeah. I, I feel like my tagline, if I were to give it that mm-hmm. it's not on my website, but it is like, Hey, I want you to be able to be in like the fucking heartbreaking and gut wrenching and heart exploding and expansive experience that is fucking humanity. Mm. And like, I want you to deeply feel what it is to be human because we need more deeply feeling humans. And I want to teach you how to like live your life in a way where that actually feels really good and safe. Mm. that like that's actually your natural blueprint of health to be in that place and there's a way to get there and it's not because you're broken or you need fixing it's like a remembrance is what we're here for so good uh well thank you so much for this conversation and thank you for doing this work in the world and being you and sharing your voice (laughs) for real (laughs) we've talked about this a million times like your voice is so soothing could listen to you forever Um, but really thank you for being here and thank you for you. Thank you for you. What a great name. Love it. Thanks, Erin. Hey, it's Erin. And I want you to know that you matter. Everything you're doing and everything you've done, it all matters. It all counts because you are important to the people around you, your family and friends, your audience, your clients, and quite honestly, to the world. Whether you're changing lives on the front line or changing lives while you're changing diapers, your presence matters. Every life you touch counts. And from just one interaction, there can be infinite, meaningful effects. And for that reason, I want to thank you for showing up and doing the work to be with yourself and share your light and your gifts and your love with those around you. 
If you want support with any of this human being stuff, you're always welcome to join me inside of my coaching membership, Human Being Club at humanbeingclub.com or follow along with me on Instagram for more behind the scenes, silly stuff at Erin Lindstrom. Once again, thank you for being here and thank you for you. 